So maybe just learn something, be challenged about something. Thank you for the story. And we love you, Lord, so much. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there in John chapter number 11. And like I, I said before, we're just a little bit over halfway through the book of John. And I'm surprised how quickly it's gone by already. But um, we find here a very familiar story about Lazarus being risen from the from the grave. Uh, if you look at verse 1, we're introduced to Lazarus and Mary and Martha for the first time in the book of John. The Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse 3 says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So, we find here Lazarus is sick. Obviously, we know he's going to die because of this. And the Bible says in verse 3 that uh, Mary and Martha, they, the, Bible, the Bible says that the sisters sent unto Jesus, and they, they sent a message, and they said, Hey, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, obviously, Jesus has been healing people all over the place and, and, and uh, taking care of people in that manner. And these sisters were surely uh, hoping that Jesus uh, could and would help. They were, uh, you know... They thought by simply just ask, you know, saying, hey, your friend is sick, that he would come to uh, heal their brother. The Bible says in verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to, to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou hither again? Jesus answered, there are not twelve hours in the day. Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if any man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. Now, it's it's kind of funny in verse 11, Jesus begins to explain to them, he says, these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Then said the disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. But in verse 13, he says, Habia Jesus spake of his death. So Jesus was letting them know, Lazarus is dead. You know, he said, he told me that he's sleeping, and they're thinking, well, if he's asleep, you know, he's just taking a nap, and he's doing well. And he said, no, 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 Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So they don't understand what Jesus is saying, and he just tells them plainly, look, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15 says, And I am glad for your sake that I was not there, to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had laid in the grave four days already. Now I think it's uh, interesting that the Bible lets us know that Lazarus had been in the grave and had been dead for four days. If you look down at verse 39 in John chapter 11, the Bible says when, when he uh, asked, you know, he's ready to heal Lazarus. In verse 39, the Bible says, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. So, the Bible says when he got there, he realized he'd been there four days, and then they make a reference to the fact, you know, he says, well, we'll remove the stone because he's ready to heal him. And Martha says, well, surely his body has already started decaying. It's already started smelling bad. You know, and she says, the reason is because he's been dead four days. Now, I think it's interesting that after... Four days, they said his body is already—it stinks, you know, because it's uh, decomposing. Um, but Jesus, when Jesus died, he was in the grave for three days. 
And the Bible says that when Jesus was in the grave, His body saw no corruption. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read a verse for you. Acts chapter number 2. In verse 31, the Bible says, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. By the way, Jesus went to hell when he died. You know, a lot of people don't believe that, but that's what the Bible says. It says that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So, according to the Bible, the, you know, and I always wondered, and this doesn't really have much to do with the sermon, but just something to think about. I always wondered why... Was Jesus in the grave for three days and three nights? How did they, why did God choose that time frame? And obviously the Bible tells us that, that He suffered an eternity's uh, worth of hell while, while there. But, but He was only physically there for three days and three nights. And this might be one of the reasons, you know, because it was a prophecy. Acts chapter number 2 and verse 31 is talking about a prophecy that David prophesied in the book of Psalms. And he said that the, that the flesh of Jesus Christ would not see corruption. So maybe this is one of the reasons why he was there for three days and three nights, because if he would have been there a fourth day, maybe his body would have started corrupting. I, I don't know if that's true, and scientifically I, I didn't look it up, but um, something to think about. But look at, uh, let's continue reading in verse 18. The Bible says, Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs. And many of the Jews came unto Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Verse 20 says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, and look what it says, but Mary sat still in the house. You know, this interesting thing about Mary and Martha, we find them in other Gospels, as if you remember the, the very familiar story, when Jesus comes to have dinner at the house of Mary and Martha, and, and one of them is cooking, and one of them is at the feet of Jesus, and, and you kind of get that comparison there between their attitudes. But here we see another comparison, uh, of Mary versus Martha, and really it shows the type of Christianity. There are two types of Christians uh, that, that we find while they're going through a trial. There are those who run to Jesus while they're going through a trial, such as their uh, brother here, who they were very close to, had died. And then there are the Christians who run from Jesus during a trial. And I think it's interesting in verse 20, they, they both sent for Jesus. Lazarus is dead. They obviously were expecting for Jesus to come sooner than he did. I don't know if you noticed there, and we'll talk about this in, in a little bit. But the Bible says that Jesus, after he heard that Lazarus was dead, he tarried two days. So he waited two days before he even came down to see them. So obviously, they were expecting him sooner. They were expecting him to heal their brother. Now he's dead. He's been dead for four days. And, uh, and, and the Bible says, when, they find, when Jesus finally shows up, the Bible says, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary sat still in the house. And it shows us the type of Christianity and the type of people. And we've got to just decide and be the type of people that when a trial comes, such as a death in a family, or maybe just anything that you might go through, we ought to be the type of Christians who are just running to Jesus and wanting to go meet Jesus during a trial, not the type of Christian like Mary. It says that she just, you know, she just sat still in the house. And there, there's, those are the two different types of Christians. Some Christians will allow a death to discourage them and get them out of church and get them out of the ministry and get them out of uh, serving God. And some Christians will allow that uh, death or that trial to bring them even closer to Jesus, to trust in Jesus, trust in the Bible. So that's an interesting thing there. Look at verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So she begins to almost... Uh, blame Jesus, saying, if only you would have been here, Lazarus would be alive right now. Now look at verse 22. And we'll keep looking at this comparison between Mary and Martha. Martha says, but I know that even now, 
whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. So, Mary blames Jesus in a roundabout way for Lazarus' death. You know, she says, if you would only have came sooner, because they called him while he was still sick. And he abode two days. He, he tarried two days. So if you only would have came sooner, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. But Mary makes a statement. She says, e- e- even though she's blaming Jesus for his death, she still believes that Jesus could help. She still believes uh, who Jesus is. And, and which, is, which is the reason why she ran to meet him. But if you look at verse 28, uh, just drop down to verse 28 in John chapter number 11. We see... How her sister acted in verse 28. The Bible says that when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. So now we see Mary goes to Jesus, but she doesn't choose to go to Jesus. She goes to Jesus because he asked for her to come. Do you see that? In verse 29, it says, And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto them. So we're, we're starting to see the difference here. One goes to Jesus when she hears that he's coming. The other one stays in the house and only comes to Jesus when he asks her to come. Mary, unlike Martha, uh, also makes no statement like the one that Martha made, found in verse 22, when Martha said, But I know, even now, whatsoever, if thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Mary doesn't make a statement like that. Look at verse 30 in John chapter 11. It says, Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Uh, the Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, she, that she arose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave, to weep there. And look at what she does when she shows up to Jesus. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So you see there? She makes the exact same statement that her sister made. Now that might be a coincidence, but I, I seem to think that maybe Mary and Martha were talking about this. You know, they were complaining to themselves, saying, Why, Where is Jesus? Why isn't he here? We called for him two days ago. Now, you know, and, I, and I, we don't know the specific time frame, but now Lazarus has been dead for four days. So actually it had to have been longer than that because when they called for him, he was still sick. Two days went by, Jesus started to come down, but now when we come to this part of the story, he's been dead for four days. So maybe they're complaining. Maybe they're talking about it. Maybe they're saying, well, well where is he? Why isn't he showing up? He has time to heal all these other people, but his friend Lazarus and, and me, Mary, and me, Martha, who, who, who he says he loves and who has this great relationship, why hasn't he came? But if you notice the difference between Mary and Martha, they both made the, made the same statement, which leads me to believe that they've had this conversation. They both say, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. They both blame Jesus. But the difference between Mary and the difference between Martha, the reason that Martha ran to Jesus and Mary stayed at the house, is that Martha followed up that statement by saying, but I still believe you, Jesus Christ. I still believe you can help. I still believe that God will hear you. Where Mary makes no such statement. And really that just shows you what is the difference between a Christian who will run to God when, when things get tough and when things get hard and the kind of Christian who runs from God and the difference is faith. Coming to Jesus and not coming to Jesus always has to do with faith. What is the difference between somebody coming to Jesus to get saved and somebody running from Jesus from, for salvation is faith. And even as a Christian, your faith will bring you to Jesus when trials come. Your faith will bring you to Jesus when things get hard. Your faith will bring you uh, to Jesus when you felt like He should have responded quicker. But Mary didn't make that statement. She's just blaming God. And we see here the, the, con- the contrast between both of them. One runs to Jesus, the other doesn't. 
look at verse, go back to verse 23 in John chapter 11. We'll continue with the, I just wanted to show you there, the response that, that Mary had as opposed to Martha. But let's continue with the conversation that Jesus is having with Martha. In verse 23, Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now it's interesting because Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again. And she makes a statement, which is not an incorrect statement, but she's saying, yeah, I know he will rise again at the resurrection. But notice, when she makes that statement, she's not really giving any credit or glory to Jesus Christ. And look at how he responds to her in verse 25. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. So she says, oh, I know that he'll be resurrected at one day. Talking about an event. And Jesus is saying, you know, being resurrected is not an event, it's actually a person. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now Jesus corrects her, and and He's saying, look, uh, it's not that you're looking for an event. He said you're looking for a person. The resurrection is not an event, it's actually a person. And you know, the Bible, Jesus has made all these statements throughout the book of John. He says statements like, I am the way. He's made statements like, I am the door. He now says, I am the resurrection. And the truth is that Jesus is salvation. You know, sometimes as Baptists, and I'm not against saying this, but we'll say, you know, we're going to go out soul winning and get somebody the plan of salvation. But the thing is, it's not really a plan, it's not really an event as much as it is a person. Salvation is Jesus Christ. If you remember, we preached on this back in Christmas. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. But in Luke chapter number 2, verse 29, when the baby Jesus was brought into the temple, uh, as the the custom was, uh, Simeon, who was uh, filled with the Holy Ghost, or had the Holy Ghost come upon him, came into the temple, and Simeon said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Uh, As he's holding Jesus, he's saying these words, he said, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. So he was looking at Jesus Christ, and he was saying, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. So Jesus is salvation. Jesus is the resurrection. The resurrection is not an event as much as it is Jesus Christ. And he was correcting her saying that. But notice what the Bible says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Alright, the Bible says that a Christian will never die. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses go around teaching, and a lot of people will will get sucked into this, and they'll teach this thing called soul sleep. And they'll say that when you die, you just go into sleep, because... You know, you're just, you're, you're going to sleep and your, your body just kind of lays there and then you don't wake up until the resurrection and to you it's just happened in a second. You just died and then the next second you're at the resurrection. But really like hundreds of years went by or thousands of years went by. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, there's no such thing as soul sleep. The Bible says that whosoever liveth, now notice what it says. Jesus Christ says, if you're alive, whosoever liveth and believeth, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, whosoever liveth and believeth in me, the Bible says, shall never die. And then he asks this question, believest thou this? So a Christian, the Bible says, will never die. If I died one day, and you, 
guys had a funeral and you said, oh, Pastor Jimenez died, that'd be, that'd be incorrect. That'd be an incorrect statement. That'd be a lie. I will never die. Now, my body may die. This, this, this uh, carcass may, may, may die. I may quit breathing or, or my heart may stop pumping blood through, through my body, but I will never die. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So I will never experience death because here's what the Bible says. The dead, when you die, you don't just die physically, but you die the second death. Being dead is going to hell. Bible refers to people in hell as the dead. So, I will never die. I mean, I literally will never experience death. The moment that my body takes its last breath, that next moment I will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. Now, this body will be dead, but we know that God is one day going to give us an incorruptible body, uh, an immortal body, and we understand all that. But you will never die. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelations that the saints that were beheaded were in heaven waiting and even almost just kind of asking God, how long must we wait for you to avenge us? Because they were saying, you know, when, when God was going to come back to earth, to, to those things. But they were in heaven. They weren't asleep. There wasn't soul sleep. They, were, they, weren't, they, were, they were pretty much alive. Not in their bodies, as a spirit, but they were conscious and they were, and, and they were there. So there's no such thing as, as that. But I, I love this, this verse, and these are great verses in the Bible. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, he shall live. So he says, even if you're dead, you're, you're, you're going to live. Because you believe on me. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believe as thou this. These are great verses to use our soul winning. And they're beautiful verses, um, famous verses in the Bible. Look at verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come, and he calleth for thee. As soon as she heard this, oh, we read these verses. Let's uh, skip down to verse 33. John eleven thirty-three. Well, let's, let's read verse 32. And when Mary was come where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and said, "We have uh, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35 is a real famous verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus wept. That's a real easy verse for you to memorize. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. The smallest verse in the Bible. And, uh, but it's, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's a, a great verse to show us the humanity of Jesus Christ. He felt emotion and pain just like we do. The Bible says that He was weeping because she was weeping. He was hurting because she was hurting. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So people, you know, people, oftentimes they'll, they'll go through something, and they'll, they'll, they'll go through trials in their life, just like, like these people are going through with Lazarus, and they'll say, Jesus doesn't understand the pain I'm going through. He doesn't understand when I've lost a loved one. He doesn't understand when I've lost a spouse. He doesn't understand when I've lost a child. He doesn't understand when I've lost a relationship. He understand the pain I'm going through. But let me tell you something. Jesus understands all the pain you've gone through. He's, he, he understands it. He's felt it. Bible says he wept there. That's a very important verse. That Jesus wept because he was he, he had the emotion and, and he had the distress that she had. And the Bible tells us that he was weeping because he saw her weep. So that's a very important verse there. John eleven thirty six. Then eleven thirty six says, "Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him." Now I want you to take notice of this verse. As they watched Jesus weeping at the grave of Lazarus. The Jew said, Behold how he loved him. Now, you might have 
just kind of read over these verses, but if you go back to John 11, 3, I want you to take note of this verse. John 11, 3, the Bible says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So, when Mary and Martha sent to Jesus the message that he was sick, they said to him, He whom thou lovest is sick. They were saying, Lazarus, the person you love is sick. If you look at verse number 5 in, in, in the same chapter, the Bible says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then we see here in verse 36, the Bible says, uh, Behold how he loved him. So the Bible makes it very clear in this chapter, multiple references to the love that Jesus had to these three people. These three people were some of Jesus' favorite friends. These three people were some of Jesus' uh, best friends. Some of Jesus' favorite people while on earth. And the Bible says, He loved them. Now, the average Christian would have you to believe that these verses have absolutely no meaning. Because the average Christian will say, well, Jesus loves everybody. And God loves everybody. So then, I've got to ask the question, if Jesus loves everybody, and if God loves everybody, then why does He go over and over and over in this chapter to make these references that Jesus loved Martha, that Jesus loved uh, Mary, that Jesus loved Lazarus? They say, oh, how He loved Him. They, you know, why, why does it, the Bible make such a big deal about this? And I've and I got to ask you this question. Does Jesus love everybody, or everyone? And the answer to that question, just listen to me and I'll prove to you in the Bible, is no. Jesus does not love everybody. And the Bible makes such a, a clear reference to the fact that He loved these people because that Jesus doesn't love everybody. God does not love everybody. You say, prove that from the Bible. Let's, let's look at it. Go with me back to the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's one of those minor prophets in the Old Testament. And we'll look at Hosea chapter... Number 9. Hosea chapter number 9. It's right after Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. Just a few books down. If you find those major, three major prophet books in the book of Daniel. And uh, Hosea chapter number 9. And look at verse 15. Hosea chapter number 9 and look at verse 15. The Bible says, All their wickedness is sin in Gilgal. For there I, make note of this, hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house. And look what it, this is God speaking. He says, I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. So God says in Hosea 9.15, speaking about a certain people, He said, I hated them. And then He says, and let me give you the flip side to that, just so you understand what I'm talking about. He says, I will love them no more. Now, He used to love them, but He says, I will love them no more. So the answer to the question, does God love everybody? No. Now you say, well, uh, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. And that's true. But read what it says. He says, God so loved the ED at the end makes that word a past tense word. God loves everyone. Every single human being, when they're born, God loves them. There is no human being that God did not love at, at one point. But let me tell you something. God doesn't love everybody today. Now, He more than likely loves almost everybody, but there's certain people who God just does not love. That's why He made that saying. For God, he didn't say, for God loves the world. He said, for God loved the world. Because there's certain people on planet Earth. When they were born, He loved everybody. 
But certain things you do in your life will make God hate you and will make God not love you like we saw there in Hosea chapter number 9. Now, go with me to the book of Psalms. If you open your Old Testament right, or your Bible right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And look at Psalm 11. And we'll look at this a little more. Psalm 11, and look at verse number 5. Psalm 11, and verse 5, the Bible says, The Lord... I'll wait for you to get there, because I, I want you to see it. Psalm 11, 5. Psalm 11, 5. The Bible says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Now, at the, at the end of that verse, when it says his... Who is that he is referring to? It's referring to the Lord. It says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that, lo- that loveth violence, his soul hateth. So the Bible tells us right there, the Bible, that God, the Lord, Jehovah God, hates the wicked, and he hates those who love violence. Now let me explain something to you. Violence is not, you know, getting in a fight. Okay? You know, people think, oh, the violence, boxing, or, or wrestling is not. That's not violence. Um, the word violence, and the, the, definitely the word it's used, the way it's used in the Bible, is referring to. Well, let me explain it like this: If you look at the word violence, the it comes from the same root word as the word violate. Okay, so violence is not just you know a bunch of kids got in a fight. You know, and, oh, they're so violent. That's not violence. Violence, and when the Bible uses the word violence, is referring to when somebody violates, or somebody defiles, or somebody uh, hurts somebody, and they, they violate. That, does that make sense? So see, people, because see, we have, we as Christians today, and especially as fundamental Baptists, I, I don't know how many pastors I've heard say things like, you know, we've got to love all these people. Um, I, I know of a, I'm thinking of a story right now, where there was a lady uh, who's going to church that we were attending, and uh, she, uh, I, I can't remember exactly, my wife probably would be able to tell me better, um, but uh, I always forget things, but um, this lady was, was dealing with something, because I, I want to say that her grandson or her granddaughter had been violated by a certain individual. And she was, you know, and this person was in prison, obviously, you know, had, had been in prison. And this lady was kind of struggling with, with that, uh, with that and just that anger there, you know, and she just wanted to know, you know, how to deal with it. And the pastor said to her, you know, you got to just love that person and you got to just uh, uh, forgive that person and, and, and love them, you know, and, and, and you would hear that from the average church. But let me tell you something. Does God love the pedophile tonight? The answer is no. God does not love people who violate people. And, and, and Psalms 11.5 makes that very clear. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Let me tell you something. God does not love the pedophile tonight. God does not love people who, who, who violate and people who hurt others. and people. Let me tell you something. God doesn't love the abortionist tonight. You know, I can't think of, of, of an act that, that violates a, a, a human being more than the act of an abortion where you'll take a child in the womb who is supposed to be in the most protected place uh, on planet Earth. And I mean, you know, I don't know if you ever looked into it or, or kind of studied it out. There's uh, videos you can, you know, I, I don't, I've never watched one just because I, I don't have the desire to, but I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But you can watch videos on, on YouTube, I'm sure, of, 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 of babies who have been decapitated through the act of abortion. You know, though, and I'm not exactly sure how they do it all, but they'll stick some sort of a tool up there and literally collapse the skull of a living child. Let me tell you something. We got, um, 
you know, uh, forget what those things are called, the pictures you get when, when your wife, the ultrasound, yeah, there you go. Um, my wife's thinking, my wife's saying I had ultrasound, you know. But uh, we, we got those ultrasounds from our, from our sons when they were real young, you know, and, and even, you know, just as small children, you could tell they're human beings, you know, and, and even, you know, if, if I take an ultrasound from my son Joshua and I take an ultrasound from my son Joel, I can tell the difference. I can tell which one's Joshua and I can tell which one's Joel after seeing them after they were born. You can tell they look like, you know, they're human beings in that womb. And, and, they're, and, and these people who are for this uh, abortion thing, you know, and let me tell you something, and this might be real controversial and you might not like it, but, but you know, they, they had this uh, thing in Tucson and I, I was just driving home from work. I was listening to the memorial on the, on the radio and, and listening to Obama give a speech about it and stuff. And, you know, Obviously, we're not advocating violence, and obviously, you know, that's a horrible thing, and nobody should do that. But, you know, all these Christians are around saying, oh, you know, uh, we, it's such a horrible thing, we need to pray for these people, we need to be, uh, you know, feel bad for these people. But let me tell you something, that congresswoman who got shot, one of the, and I'm not advocating violence, but one of the reasons she got shot down that way is because she's a real big abortion proponent. And let me tell you something, I, do, do I necessarily feel that bad for her? And I'll tell you the honest truth, I do not. Because she's a violent person. I mean, a, a politician who would, who would want to put laws into play to make it legal to take a child and stick a syringe in its neck and in, in its skull to collapse its head and bring it out. Look, that is a violent individual. And the Bible says that God hates those people who violate others. You know, it's a horrible act and it shouldn't happen and I'm not saying we should do it. And, you know, these people that go around bombing abortion clinics, I'm not advocating that and I'm not saying that's a good thing. But let me tell you something, as Christians, we need to wake up and realize what the Bible says. And God doesn't love everybody. We shouldn't just be, oh, well, we got to, you know, reach out to the pedophile and we got to reach out to the abortionist. We got to reach out to like, we don't have to because God, the Bible makes it very clear. He loves certain people and some people he loved them because he loves everybody. But some people, I will love them no more is what the Bible says. And the Bible says that He loves those who love Him, and He loves Christians, and He loves people who, who haven't necessarily rejected Him, but those who hate God, you know, and, and we as Christians need to just learn that we don't need to love everybody, we don't need to reach, reach out to everybody. And when we go out so many, and we knock on people's doors, and we're trying to get everybody saved, I understand that, but look, we're not going to have a homosexual ministry where we're going to try to get the homosexuals saved. Not at, not at our church. The Bible says in the book of Romans that the homosexual is a hater of God. Let me, and, and this is a real biblical doctrine. Let me show you some verses from the Bible. Kind of show you what the Bible says about this. Go with me to the book of 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament. And you'll see another, another example of this. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 19. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 19, and look at verse number 2. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 19, and look at verse 2. This is the story of Jehu. Before he started doing wrong, at this point in the story, he's doing right. He's filled with the Spirit. And the Bible says in, in verse 2, it says, And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, because Jehoshaphat is a good king, but he has, he, he's uh, made a deal and he's aligned himself with a bad king. And Jehu comes out to Jehoshaphat and says, look what he says, look what he asks him. He says, Shouldest thou help the ungodly? And love them that hate the Lord. It says, therefore is a wrath upon thee from before the Lord. He says, look, Jehoshaphat. He says, you're a good guy. And God, lo- you know, God loves you. But look, right now, the wrath 
is upon me from the Lord. Here's why. Because you're helping the ungodly and because you love them that hate the Lord. Should a Christian love those who hate the Lord? The answer is no. Go back to, uh, to the book of Psalms and look at Psalm 139. Look at Psalm 139. And look at verse 21. Psalm 139 and verse 21. This is David talking. And David says, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? says, And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? So, you know, people say, Well, David wasn't right with God when he wrote this. Well, first of all, it's the Bible. It's the Holy Ghost who's writing this, not David. But look at verse 22. Just in case you think you're, he's not right with God. Look what he says. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23, 24. It's one of the favorite verses for all these Bible college students. And all these uh, fundamental Baptists. And all these people. You know, they love to. And all these preachers in America. They love to say, oh, 139, 23, 24. You know, that's my life verse. And they'll sign their name and write their little life verse. Little life verse saying, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. Hey, that's, good. that's a good verse. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's a great verse. That's a great prayer. That's a great life verse. But the same pastor that'll tell you that's his life verse will tell you, let's bring in the homosexual. Let's, let's bring in the, the, the sodomite. When the Bible says in Romans 1.30 that they're, they're haters of God. And the Bible says that a homosexual is a hater of God. And then it says in Psalm 139, I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. I hate them with a perfect hatred. Then isn't our job as Christians to go around just loving everybody, accepting everybody, and I'm telling you the answer is no. And if more fundamental Baptists stood up behind a pulpit and say, hey, the Bible says we ought to hate those. Now look, the Bible says this. Matthew 5.44, real well-known verse. Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemies, Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And persecute you. Now look. But here's the difference. Jesus Christ said that we need to love. He said love your enemies. So if I have a personal enemy. Which I, I'm sure I do. I mean there's people out there who just don't like me. The Bible says that that person. I should not hate someone who is a personal enemy of mine. If somebody hates me. I should not have the same hatred for them. That's what he's saying. He said, but I say unto you, he says, love your enemies. He says, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So if somebody is my personal enemy, I am to love them. I am to care for them. I am to pray for them. I am to bless them. I am to, 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 to want to do right to them. But if somebody is an enemy of God, then I am to hate them. Does that make sense? We are to hate those who hate God and love those who hate us. Okay? But if somebody is, is, is violent and somebody hates, hates God and somebody rejects God, then look, it is your right. And you can't say this prayer like David said. You can't say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Unless you hate those who hate God. And obviously we're not advocating violence at all. And, and, and that's illegal and it's wrong. And, you know, but, but look... There are certain people that God loves, and there are certain people that God hates, and we as Christians need to follow God's lead, not the script coming down from fundamental Baptists just saying, accept everybody, love everybody. That's not true. 
God loves certain people and God hates certain people and we ought to also. But let's go, to back, uh, go back to John 11 and look at verse 37. But I just want you to see that because he just makes such a big deal there. I mean, three different times he says that he loved Mary. He loved Martha. And, 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 if, and if Jesus just loves everybody, no matter what they do, then what's the point of adding those verses there? He's making a point that he loves them. Because the Jews that are about to kill him, you know, obviously they were Jesus Christ's enemies, so he forgave them. But we ought not love those who, who hate God. And those people who are trying to, you know, stop everything we believe for and trying to corrupt this nation and trying to do those things that are wrong in this country, we ought not stand for those things. And we ought to, you know, just pick a fight. Or not necessarily pick a fight, but at least pick a side. You know, because uh, as Christians we just get so watered down and we just stand by and let, let, let the whole world say whatever they want. But we'll just kind of, you know, because we, we, cause we're afraid of not being politically correct. But you know what? The Bible's not politically correct. So anyway, we'll get off of that. But John 11, and look at verse 37. John 11, 37. Bible says, and some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Now, go back to verse 21 in John 11. And look, look at what it says there. The Bible says, Then said Mary unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Um, so we see, and I just read that verse for you because I'm going to make a point but go down to verse 32 and look at what it says there it says then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him she fell down at his feet saying unto him Lord if thou hadst been here my brother had not died when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping which came with her he groaned in the spirit and was troubled so you see there Mary I'm sorry Martha first says if you've been here he wouldn't have died Mary later on says, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And she begins to weep, and the Bible says that Jesus, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And then in verse 37, the Bible says that the Jews said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? And the Bible says, Jesus therefore again, groaning in himself, coming to the grave, it was a cave and the stone lay upon it. What is this telling us? What's telling us this? It hurts and it troubles uh, and it bothers Jesus Christ when we blame Him instead of putting our trust in Him. When you're going through something, because what did Mary, what did Martha do? It, why, where have you been? If you had only been here, what did Martha, what did Mary do? Same thing. What did the Jews say? Man, he's, he's healed all these people. Could He not have healed His friend? And the Bible says that he, He's groaning in His spirit. The Bible says He was troubled and it bothers God when we sit there and we blame Him. And this is, this is why, uh, you know, people ask this question, why is this happening to me? Why do, why do uh, bad things happen to good people? And this mentality is a wrong mentality. We ought to just, you know, when, when if, you're, if something happens to you, and it's a horrible thing, and you're going through a trial, and you're going through a struggle, you ought to just look to heaven and say, God, you're on the throne. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust in you. But it, but it seems to you like every time they just question him and they blame him, he just kind of just groans in his spirit, he's troubled, and it bothers him. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. You saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Now, I want to show you a few things, and we're going to wrap it up here real soon, okay? Don't worry, we'll be done. But if you look at verse 3 in John 11, and you look at verse 3, the Bible says, Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. 
And verse 4 says, When Jesus heard that, He said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So from the very beginning, Jesus said, The sickness is not unto death, even though Lazarus died, but He's saying He's not going to stay dead. And he says, The sickness is for the glory of God. So from the very beginning, Jesus knew what He was going to do. Look at verse um, 14. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. And if you look at verse 6 in John 11, it says, When he had heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days, still in the same place where he was. So, from the very beginning, Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew that he was going to heal Lazarus. But he had to wait. He abode two days because he wanted to make sure that Lazarus died. Now Mary Martha called unto him, expecting him to come out. Jesus waited two days, and sometimes, let me tell you something, sometimes it's in God's will that things get worse before they get better. Sometimes it's in God's will that uh, people die. Sometimes it's in God's will, you know, and, and this really could represent it. Sometimes it's in God's will that relationships die. Sometimes it's in God's will that marriages die. Sometimes it's in God's will that, uh, that, that things die because He has a plan and He knows what He's going to do. And sometimes we'll pray and we'll ask God and we're just wondering, why isn't He answering? Why isn't He coming? Why? We called Him two days ago. Why hasn't He come? But Jesus Christ has a plan from the very beginning. Nothing catches Him off guard. Nothing catches Him, you know, without Him priorly uh, knowing. And He had a plan and He knew what He was going to do. And He said, hey, I'm glad that He died. He said, I'm glad that I was not there. That ye may believe. He has a higher plan. See, we think that our lives is just about us and just what we're going through. But God has a plan. And God, see, God sees the full spectrum. God sees the people that our lives are going to affect. And maybe God needs your brother to die so that other people will be saved. We'll see there in the next chapter that many people get saved because of Lazarus. But God sometimes puts us through things because um, people need, because he, he has a plan. He has something he wants to do. But look at verse 41. Then he took away the stone from that place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. So he prays to God and he says, God, the only reason I'm saying this is so these people will believe. He said, I know you already heard me. But look at verse 43. And when he had thus spoken, he cried, he cried with a loud voice. Now when we read it, you know, we just read the verse and we say, Elijah, come forth. The Bible says he cried with a loud voice. And if he said that he, it was a loud voice, it must have been a loud I mean, he must have said, Lazarus, come forth! You know, I, I, that's just how I envision it. Then he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him. And let him go. Let me tell you something. Jesus is in the resurrection business. Jesus is in the resurrection business. He said in this chapter, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, shall he live. Now, just go with me to Romans chapter number 4, and I'll give you an example of this, and we'll be done. Romans chapter number 4, I'll give you a quick example, and we'll be done. But Jesus is in the resurrecting business. And sometimes He allows things to get bad. And sometimes He allows things to die. Just so that He can show His power in resurrecting. 
And, and when I think of this, I, I, uh, you know, my mind goes to this story in Romans chapter number 4 and verse 17. The Bible says, as it is written, talking about Abraham, it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead. That means he made the dead alive and called those things which be not as though they were. If you remember from Sunday night, that terminology, be not, or was not, or is not, is referring to something that's dead. He says, He called those things which be not, which are dead, as though they were alive. Verse 18, Who against hope, believed in hope, that He might become the Father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall I see be, and being not weak in faith. So see, it says he, he believed in hope against hope, and He says that He was not weak in faith. And look what it says, He considered not His own body now dead. Talking about Abraham. He said, He considered not His own body now dead, when He was about in hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God uh, through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that he that what he had promised he was able also to perform so the Bible says that through faith through believing through having hope through being not weak in faith Abraham even though his body was dead referring to the fact that it could not produce life and even though the womb of Sarah was dead he said hey God promised us that he was going to give us a son now Sarah's womb is dead it cannot provide life Abraham's body is dead it cannot provide life but Abraham said and I have faith, and my faith is not weak. I believe in a resurrecting God, in a reviving God. He said, I believe that Jesus is the resurrection. And he said, if Jesus can quicken the dead, if Jesus can give life to that which is dead, because hey, by the way, before you got saved, you were dead, the Bible says. You were dead, and your spirit got quickened when you got saved. And the Bible says that if He can quicken the dead, then He can take a dead womb and give it life. He can give life to that which is dead. So tonight, and maybe not tonight, but maybe in the future, maybe you'll, you'll come across a relationship that has died. Maybe you'll come across a marriage that has died. Maybe you'll come across a, a Christian life and a spiritual life that has died. Maybe you'll come across, hey, we come across America that's dead spiritually. People in America do not, they, it's, just, it's a sad statement, but they just don't care about the Bible. Even in fundamental Baptist churches, people just do not care about the Bible. You stand up and you preach the Bible, and you scream and you yell and you give them the Word of God, and people leave just like they came. They don't make decisions. They don't change anything. Nothing happened. Why? Because we're just spiritually dead. But let me tell you something. Jesus is in the resurrecting business. Jesus can resurrect a dead body. Jesus can give life to a dead womb. Jesus can, can give life when there is no life. He said, I am the resurrection. And the life. He said, I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And what I love about this story is that he shows his power. And he says, look, even if something is dead, I can bring it back. Lazarus is dead, I can bring him back. Why? Because he's the resurrection. And, but but here's, here's the difference. When a trial comes, when something is dead... When someone is dead, and you don't know what to do, and you call Jesus, and it seems like he's not answering, and it seems like he's taking his time, let me tell you something. Be like Martha, and have faith, and not like Mary. Because, you know what was different between Abraham, and every other person that lived in his time? Is that he was not weak in faith. Is that he hoped against hope. So we need to just exercise our faith, and love God. Let's bow our heads and have a word. Dear me, Father, we love you, Lord, so much.